I'm Hillary. I'm Emily. And, and we're, we're the, the Sirens. <laughs> Sunset Boulevard is a 1950 black comedy film noir directed and co-written by Billy Wilder and produced and co-written by Charles Brackett. It stars Gloria Swanson as a failed silent film star named Norma Desmond, William Holden as struggling screenwriter Joe Gillis, and Eric von Stroheim as Norma's butler slash discoverer slash first husband slash etc. Sunset Boulevard was nominated for 11 Academy Awards, including nominations in all four acting uh, categories, and it won three. The film opens on a scene of a homicide, and we quickly learn that the victim is our narrator, Joe, a down-on-his-luck screenwriter. Rewind six months, and Joe is on the run from the finance guys that want to repossess his car. He turns into a driveway on Sunset Boulevard and discovers what he thinks is an an abandoned garage to hide his car. Instead, he finds that he's, he's unwittingly walked into the estate of aging former screen star Norma Desmond, who is delighted to learn that he's a writer and is desperate for cash because she has a comeback spelled right. Joe ends up a kept man at Norma's house, drawn further and further into her delusions, even as he tries to work on a script secretly with Betty, a studio reader, and the fiancé of one of his friends. Utter, delicious, slightly terrifying, chaotic psychosis ensues. <laughs> Uh, my thought hearing that synopsis is, is this a comedy? <laughs> yeah, no. um, oh yeah, true. Because somebody dies at the end. Yeah. I, I, at the beginning. Yes. I I mean, not to, to give it away, but I found this whole movie very disturbing and yeah. unnerving. And maybe there were one or two parts that were funny, but I it was not a laugh out loud kind of experience no no it was it was really not <laughs> do you have some trivia about it so there's a ton of trivia about this movie so like I will just scratch the surface of what is out there I mean there's just like pages and pages of it the photos of the young Norma Desmond that decorate the house are genuine publicity photos from glorious uh, Swanson's heyday when Gloria Swanson finished Norma's final scene um, in that like the staircase descent, she burst into tears at the end and the crew applauded and Billy Wilder threw her a party afterwards um, as soon as that shot was finished, even though it wasn't the last scene that was filmed. Um, yeah, that was pretty incredible. But she She's the, st- like, she's the heavyweight of this movie. <laughs> Yes, by far. Uh, Paramount uh, gets a lot of like screen time. You know the the lot and you know the behind the scenes at Paramount gets gets a lot of screen time. And apparently they were like totally jazzed for that and didn't ask for the studio to be disguised because um, it, they just thought it was a lot of free publicity. The name Norma Desmond was chosen from a combination of silent film star Norma Talmadge and silent movie director. William Desmond Taylor. Apparently his still unsolved murder is one of the great scandals of Hollywood history. Well, it's kind of, I feel like most people would probably just think her character was based on Gloria Swanson. So it's nice that it's actually, there's other references there in the name. Yeah. Well, and apparently the character was modeled on Mary Pickford who lived in seclusion away from the public eye. And um, May Murray and Clara Bow, who were other um, silent film stars, had well-documented struggles with mental illness. So there's like 
drawing on a lot of unfortunately a lot of a lot to draw on Uh, yeah I can see that although it was I don't know I feel we'll get into it but I'm curious as to your take on the point of view of the movie movie. yeah Yeah. (laughs) oh all of the silent film stars that are mentioned by Norma in the in the movie were either dead or no longer active in films by 1950. That includes Greta Garbo, who she, I don't know if you caught this. She says like, she says something about Greta Garbo as if Greta Garbo was still acting and Greta Garbo was not acting by then. John Gilbert, uh, Rudolph Valentino, Mabel Normand, uh, Pearl White and Douglas Fairbanks. They were all done working by, the, by 1950. I didn't notice that. But I did notice that she complimented Garbo Mm -hmm. as like one of the only decent actors. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you'd appreciate that. I did. (laughs) And Norma Shearer, this is the last piece of uh, trivia I'll share. Norma Shearer uh, turned down the role of Norma Desmond as she didn't want to come out of retirement. And she also found the part to be highly distasteful, which is Mm -hmm. something maybe we can talk about too. Yeah. I mean, I think obviously Gloria Swanson was wonderful in the role. But I did read that, like, basically for the rest of her life, people just assumed she was mm-hmm. the character and she mm-hmm. had to always insist, like, no, I was just playing a part. That's yeah. not me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like sit in my house and just watch my own movies over and over again all the time. <laughs> so I could see why people would think it was a risk yeah you know, to do it I yeah. mean I wish that that is not the world we lived in but it is yeah <laughs> so I bioed Gloria Swanson oh, I good. think this is the first movie we watched with her am I wrong about that uh, no I think that's right okay so she actually was a very famous silent movie star, as, as I will <laughs> elaborate on. In 1899, she was born Gloria May Josephine Svensson in Chicago, Illinois. She was raised in a military family that moved from base to base. And as a teenager, her crush on Francis X. Bushman led to her aunt taking her to tour the actor's Chicago studio. She was 15 at the time, and she was offered a brief walk-on part for a film as an extra um, from that tour. So that began her acting career. And she was soon hired to work in California for Max Sennett's Keystone Studios comedy shorts opposite Bobby Vernon. She was eventually recruited by Paramount, where she was put under contract for seven years. And she became one of the biggest stars of the silent era and an iconic flapper. Swanson appeared in hit after hit in films such as The Pullman Bride in 1917, Shifting Sands in 1918, and Don't Change Your Husband in 1919. And by the mid-1920s, she was the highest paid actress in Hollywood. In 1925, Swanson joined United Artists as one of the film industry's pioneering women filmmakers, and she produced and starred in the 1928 film Sadie Thompson, earning her a nomination for Best Actress at the first Academy Awards. Her sound film debut performance in the 1929 The Trespasser earned her a second Academy Award nomination, and she successfully transitioned from silent films to talkies. But after two decades of acting on film, her success started to wane during the 30s. Mm. Um, She received renewed praise for her comeback role in Sunset Boulevard in 1950, but she only made three more films. 
And then she did guest appearances on television and she appeared more on the stage. Uh, she was married six times <laughs> and also had a public affair with Joseph Kennedy, um, oh, the right. father of JFK and Bobby Kennedy. Oh, that's right. And she was a vegetarian and yogini and an early health food advocate. And Swanson died of a heart ailment on April 4th, 1983 in New York City at the age of 84. Wow. Yeah. It's, did you read The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo? No, not yet. I just, okay. So I read that last year. It was a good, but I remember reading it and being like, wow, seven husbands. But then now, like, then I was like, well, Gloria Swanson had six and an affair with Joseph Kennedy. So, like, so there we go. Yeah. So, yep. And, you know, seems like a possibility. So, <laughs> So, Hill, I am dying to know what you think of this movie, because I think neither of us had seen it before, right? I, well, I was going to say, it sounded like you hadn't seen it before, right? I had it. So I saw it when I was in high school. So I had a general sense of, like, what the movie was about. Like, I had forgotten, obviously. And I had forgotten just how, like, modern feeling the cinematography cinematography felt. But, like, I knew what happened, so... Um, so I'm curious, having seen it for the first time, like what your initial reactions were. Uh, I was flabbergasted. <laughs> like, I think I texted you and said, I am gobsmacked. Like, I almost just felt speechless by it after watching it. I didn't know. I thought it was a much more traditional noir than mm. it was. I didn't really know that much about it. I knew the famous line came from this movie, but I didn't know like what the context was really. Yeah. I found it very creepy. I watched it in two parts. So I watched mm -hmm. the first half and then the second half. And the first half felt very much like a horror movie to me. Mm. And I also got sort of feelings of abuse. Like it felt yes. to okay, and I am not like a I a fan of the Joe character in any way. I generally don't like, you know, somehow I just find William Holden's characters distasteful most of the time. <laughs> and I don't like him. I think he's a horrible person in this movie. But it felt very much like she was grooming him. Like, yeah. you know, that way that like you kind of keep pushing the envelope a little bit and like the person thinks it's weird, but they just kind of accept it because they don't know what else to do. And then you keep pushing like she spent the whole first half of the movie doing that. And basically, I mean, the set, the power dynamics switched a lot in the second half of the movie. But the yeah. first half I was like, oh, no, like what is What's what happening? is happening yeah, yeah. It, it was so creepy and just the vibes of like you know coming to an old abandoned mansion and you know the people who live there seeming unstable but somehow you're stuck living there and there's an organ that plays by itself and there's a dead monkey and like what, what is going on so I forgot about the dead monkey oh I wrote one of my final notes was Joe is the monkey exclamation point the replacement monkey yeah yeah and then it made me wonder what did she do to the monkey like I had I uh, imagine like a whole scenario where she like had you know forced this 
monkey to be a very you know like had him trapped as like her companion and then killed him even though that was totally made up but i was like maybe she did kill the monkey who knows like yeah who knows and she just like shoots joe spoiler so that was a very long-winded response but i found it i found it to be grotesque and and creepy and without really many redeeming characters at all maybe like one or two minor characters yeah I mean I think Betty is pretty redeeming but like a fairly minor role in the course of this movie yeah and I if I were her I would never have gone gone out there to the to the mansion yeah so um and of course you know the movie it I think it has a lot to say about fame and mm-hmm. women and aging. Um, yes. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, also about power within relationships, money. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, you, you could write a million film papers about this movie. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. That's, so that, that's my initial thoughts. But what, what about you? How do you feel about it? I mean, yes yes to everything you said and I the only thing I would add is that like we Joe Jen watched this with me and we you know just every five minutes we were like Gloria Swanson is incredible in this movie it's like you know every she's terrifying but incredible and so dramatic she's like bringing everything to this role and you know one of the things I didn't mention in this I mean, I sort of mentioned that it was um, it was nominated for 11 Academy Awards, including she was nominated for an Oscar. And the other people who were nominated for um, Best Actress uh, this year were Betty Davis, All About Eve and Baxter for All About Eve and Judy Holiday for um, Born Yesterday and Eleanor Parker for a movie I'd never heard of. And, and Judy Holiday won. And it was like a thing that like this newcomer one for born yesterday but like we had so many good things to say about all that even of course everybody does it's just like what an incredible year for movies um yeah uh, performances and well i would not want to be up against betty davis and gloria swanson <laughs> so that- oh yeah well and one of the pieces of trivia i read was that it was basically like because it was these two powerhouse women who were up against each other. Like that's partly why Judy Holiday won was because there were these two veterans who were up against each other. No one wanted to like, you know, they split the vote basically. That makes sense. And it's sort of a stereotype too, that the the Academy is not great at picking the performances often that have, or the films that have longevity. Like if you look back at some of the winners and then others that were nominated, you're like, oh, why, why would you pick this movie? But I mean, not that I'm dissing Judy Holiday, but the thing I found curious about this movie was that like, it felt like it was so much about being a woman and being an actor and being famous. From what I read about it, it was, it didn't seem like there was a lot of, like, it was not written by a woman. (laughs) And I wonder how much, how much of like what, what now we would read into it at all, like was just Gloria Swanson's performance versus how Mm. much was actually in the writing because it seemed like they were just like oh like an old grotesque you know they yeah wasn't it Billy Wilder was like driving past some of the old like dilapidated mansions and he was just like I wonder like what old film stars live there and then 
wrote this movie and yeah you know that's not exactly putting a lot of thought into what it actually means to be aging as a woman on film Yeah. yeah Well, yeah, and just to like, like the other piece of that is that, you know, yeah, aging on film and the film industry changed a lot too, that went from being silent to talkies. And I think one of the things she says multiple times is that like talking isn't necessary. You know, like there's, it sort of ruined the film industry to, and in that process, it like left behind, you know, her, John Gilbert, all these other people who were silent film stars, in addition to like the the aging and the like very real shunning of... (laughs) of women who are over yeah. 25. Yeah, I mean, the, it was, it w- it made an impression on me that, like, Gloria Swanson looks so grotesque with, like, the faces she makes and yes. everything. But if you've watched a lot of silent movies, the faces she's yeah. making, it's actually good acting for if it was a silent movie. You know what I mean? Like, the, she's doing... Yeah. The acting was bigger, the film quality was worse. You had to convey a lot of strong emotions yeah because nobody knew what you were saying until the next frame so it was um yeah I I thought that was kind of sad actually yeah yeah we particularly like notice that she's like doing all these incredible silent film things with her with her face but also with her hands and her fingers in particular which is like she said very grotesque and terrifying and sad yeah it reminded me a lot of some of those you know not to like always be going back to German film but like some of those early German silence that Mm -hmm. were so creepy and surrealist where like you know the somnambulist is like carrying a woman across the rooftops or like something like that I was like oh she would have fit in perfectly in that scene but yeah the somnambulist yeah yeah so yeah, I thought it w- it was sad, really. And if, if you think about Singing in the Rain, which is another movie that's about like the transition to talkies, mm-hmm. it is true that, you know, you could be really good in silence mm-hmm. and then not be a good like talkie actor. I mean, they made fun of it in that movie, like you had to have a good voice and the right accent and you know, it was just a very different type of acting. Yeah, yeah. Um, did you think she seemed 50? Or, like, she was supposed yeah. to be 50, yeah. wasn't she? I thought she looked younger than that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's also, you know, one of those, uh, like, function of functions of the time where, like, oh, she's 50, but she looks like she could be... I thought she looked older than 50. But, you know, now I think, like, people are 50 and they look very young. Um, but I thought she looked she looked a lot older than 50. And she was definitely... She felt old to me. I don't know. I guess I just... It, she was wearing such intense costumes and mm-hmm. makeup that it was kind of hard to tell what was going on under there. Yeah. What was going on One of the only parts of the movie that I thought was funny and it wasn't like an overt joke was just how ridiculous it was that those financiers were just like (laughs) driving around the city looking for, like they just were, at one point Joe was at a red light. Yeah. And then he just looks over and they're like there looking for him. Yeah. I mean, that was ridiculous. And then they ended up going to the mansion to take the car. Like, I don't it seemed like their whole job was just repossessing this one car this one car in los angeles as if there it was like totally easy to like find a car in los angeles (laughs) 
<laughs> can we talk about Joe a little bit? Can we talk about Joe? <laughs> yeah. We've got to talk about Joe. <laughs> uh, so the big part of the movie that really shifted for me was when, so like, it's all super creepy. It's got that horror movie vibe. He can't really like leave the mansion. And then he finally gets away mm-hmm. and he goes to that party where mm-hmm. Artie and Betty are. Mm-hmm. And then he goes back. I know. I so know. That was the part where it really because it it seemed like any any normal person would be like, I'm not going back to this place. But he went back, and not only did he go back, but it seemed like I couldn't tell if did you think that they actually consummated their relationship? I don't think so. I didn't. I don't think they went as far as that. He was definitely like wrapped tightly around her finger somehow. I don't know that scene where like her wrists are all bandaged, which by the way I thought totally could have been fake. Yes, but and he goes into her bedroom and then they start making out. I'm like, what is happening? Yeah, <laughs> like, he was trying to get away from her and then. He, he went back and then now they're in a relationship so i mean the only thing the only way to read it is he just was like being opportunistic and just thought you know what like so what if they're all real creepy there i can live in a nice lifestyle and just take advantage and like i'd rather do that than be scraping to get by i mean was that i mean I think he went back on at New Year's Eve because he like he felt bad because like she there was this like weird it was like the tale of two New Year's Eve parties. There's this weird <laughs> like New Year's Eve party where it was just the two of them with the caviar and the champagne and the and the musicians and then he was like this is too weird I got to go. And and they have you know they have a fight or whatever and so they fought and then he goes to to Artie's and he's like I'm gonna have my stuff sent here I'm gonna stay here I'm gonna get out of there I'm gonna stay there and so he calls and that's how he finds out that she's slit her wrists and he's like he has a moment of remorse it seems to me where he's like oh like I don't I don't want to be part of this but I don't want her to die so he goes back because of because he feels remorse and to me feels like a real uh like depiction of what it might be like to like be in an abusive relationship where you like you want to get out you want to get out and you take the chance to get out and you get sucked back in again because I shouldn't laugh it because it's not funny at all um you get sucked back in sort of against your own like better judgment and good feelings at which like when Betty comes later and is like come with me he's like no I'm not coming with you I'm a kept man I want you to understand that I'm kept man it's like he's really soured and the whole time I was like, oh my God, just go with her now. Just leave, abandon your stuff. Just go, go with the woman who you actually love. And you don't. Yeah. It the, the, I think I had trouble sort of getting to the root of his motivations. Like, are we, that was the thing that was strange. There was like a leap between him sort of being groomed and like sort of this weird abusive relationship yeah where he's being kept but then also in the second half of the film it seems like he is consciously taking advantage of her and I I guess I was just curious like are we supposed to believe that at some point he has a shift or 
was he being opportunistic the whole time? Or, you know, are we supposed to not think he was taking advantage of her? Like, that was the part I didn't get. Because I, by the end of the movie, I was like, oh, he was just like a totally terrible guy who was like, oh, I can live life, like live rich here, get my suits, not have to work, like lay around. Well, but he didn't like having, it seemed to me that he didn't like, he was uncomfortable when she like bought things for him. He didn't like it. And like he did have to work when he was there he had to like write this script that for this movie that he thought was terrible but why did he stay then do we really think he was that much under her thumb well i think he didn't have any other options i think we're supposed to be supposed to believe that he like he's at the beginning he's in a like a one-room apartment all he has is car and his car is going to be repossessed. And without his car, he has to like take a bus back to Ohio, which means his dreams are dashed. And, you know, he has enough money for the bus ticket and nothing else. And, you know, so he's desperate and doesn't really have anywhere else to go. Like he can't go back to his apartment, partly because they won't, they know the finance guys know where he lives. And partly because <laughs> Norma has brought all of his stuff there. Yeah, creepily somehow like knowing where he lives. I just, I guess I am struggling to figure out his moral compass. Oh, I don't think he has a moral compass. <laughs> like if he cared enough to go back and see, I don't know. I get, yeah, that's where I, like my read on him changed. And by the end of the film, he was just being incredibly cruel to both Betty and Norma. Yeah. I mean, my overall read on him was bad. <laughs> he was not a good person but yeah I, I I was unclear on how much he was like being abused versus like being manipulative I guess that was the part that was unclear to me yeah well I mean it seems like it was a little bit of both like he yeah. was being abused and he was being manipulative just like Norma I mean not that Norma was being abused necessarily but you know she was a, a victim in some ways because she because she sort of made herself a victim so, and saw herself as a victim you know that like she couldn't see herself as anything but like this great star that like you know had been overlooked by everyone except for DeMille and her fans. So do you think if she had been that big of a star that she probably would still get fan letters that Max wouldn't have to do them all <laughs> yeah I wonder if she did get fan letters and like like she got like 10 um and he just like made 90 of them so that she would have 100 yeah <laughs> yeah I mean her character there's like the piece about aging and sort of like the the industry changed and she kind of became obsolete and then she also aged and you know th- there really weren't a lot of roles for a woman her age but then there's also just like it's like uh people who read their own press like she was just obsessed Mm -hmm. with herself it wasn't just I want to get back into the industry I want to make art or whatever it was like she was obsessed with her own beauty like just watching her own films Mm -hmm. surrounding herself with pictures and that part was really disturbing too (laughs) Mm-hmm. yeah that she was obsessed with herself like when she was at the height of her fame yeah and it's just sad I mean it made me think about how women I mean this is this felt very contemporary to me that just women are not allowed to age yeah it's just not 
it's becoming so common for everyone to have work done. Yeah. You know, it used to be just like a famous person thing, but now it's so many people are doing it and it's like, but it's just weird. Like, do you want to be 70 and look like you're 30? Like it does. I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> I don't know. And I know I'm supposed to say, you know, do whatever makes you happy or whatever, but it just feels like it's the patriarchy. <laughs> so, <laughs> You know, the patriarch is saying, spend your money on this uh, in order for you to be valuable. And it, it, it just feels like upset. the patriarchy is the sub headline of this podcast. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but it, it's just like, even if you think about like some of the great actresses, like people who are lauded, who are mm-hmm. older women actresses, they all still have to look Mm-hmm. a certain way you can't just look like an old lady yeah so, yeah there's a standard still yeah it seems impossible to live up to so anyway we are all Norma Desmond is basically what I'm saying um I want that on a t-shirt we are all Norma Desmond <laughs> do you do you think this movie could be remade now I mean like remade and like brought up into the present with like a has-been star from like the 60s yeah I don't know I mean probably I mean not like the expectations about women and uh expectations about aging stars certainly like you said are still exist yeah and it felt also like the movie was the point of view is male yes and like the fact that she's in a relationship with a much younger man and she is the one with money and at least you know a famous name that seemed like something that was mockable to Mm -hmm. from that point of view and I could still see that like if this movie was remade now being like oh she's 30 years older than the person she's with like isn't that pathetic I I just saw a contemporary tv show where that someone literally said that to an older woman who was dating a younger man like it's embarrassing what are you doing <laughs> so, um, yeah so- unfortunately a timeless uh thing is the uh um, rejection of women and their own agency <laughs> <laughs> Yes. I, I feel like we could go on and on about this. <laughs> so is there, before we get into um, Bechtel, is there anything else you wanted to hit on? The only other thing I wanted to hit on was that I would like to go to Schwab's pharmacy <laughs> and like have a sandwich and a phosphate. um one of my notes uh was that we need more coffee clutches which is what joe called the pharmacy yes Uh, i Um, love the idea that there's an industry place that's just a pharmacy yes yeah i want that yeah we could we should probably do some kind of twitter thread just about anything there's so much to say about this movie so look look (laughs) Look on at the screen sirens. <laughs> I've been living my own life, making my own decisions for a long while now. It's impossible to go back to being treated like a child again. What do you think about Bechtel? I mean, the one time that Betty and Norma talk to each other on the phone, Norma is like basically insinuating to her that uh, Joe is a kept man, like a male prostitute. So that conversation doesn't pass the Bechtel test. Um, and I don't know that there are any other like substance conversations between women, is there? Yeah, I don't think so. 
there there's one scene I think where Betty's on the phone and like her roommate's in the room but no I think no it doesn't pass unsurprisingly (laughs) yeah I mean even with a I mean it's a good example of a film where I mean one of the main characters is a woman a larger than life woman and it still doesn't pass the Bechdel test well yeah the Betty character was kind of underdeveloped because if I don't know like Gloria Swanson just outshines everyone in this movie but yes um yeah so I I guess it doesn't pass although I think well, would you say it's a feminist movie? No. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I mean, I think they're like it's very easy to have a feminist read on the movie, but I, I don't think the movie itself is. We all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. Well, what about social justice? I mean, Joe didn't have a safety net at all, which is why he was so desperate, right? Yeah. And... You know, he was living on the edge, which is why he was so desperate. I think like, you know, had he any had he had any other options, he might have like not been like, sure, I'm going to throw my hat into this like uh, haunted mansion. And similarly, <laughs> if Norma had had any like other options, she might have like had better me- mental health. Yeah, it did seem like <laughs> I thought I also made some notes about how early in the movie when he just needs a little bit of money and he Mm, goes to mm -hmm. like multiple people for help who could clearly help yeah they were just so cruel in like it the way that they rejected him was very humiliating yeah and then his agent was like no this is gonna be good for your writing and he's like what the heck are you talking about (laughs) yeah he's like i'm gonna be back in ohio like (laughs) this is not not good but yeah it was true that I, it's still obviously the case that a lot of people who try to make it in the arts have to live on the edge because it doesn't pay so i think it's a little better now but not great. i don't know i i wonder if like a different person had made the movie but it had been the same cast if mm-hmm. it, it, i guess it just would have been a different movie but it was it was not sympathetic to her as a woman or as a mentally ill person. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's a really a really important point about this movie is that like it's definitely a male gaze, <laughs> and and it would be interesting to see how it was would would have been made with somebody who was more sympathetic. Yes, although Joe's still dead. In a perfect world, he doesn't get sucked into her delusions because she doesn't have delusions. So everybody survives and is happy. That's yeah. my wish for them. And maybe, you know, they could have been like, hey, let's do a retrospective of the great yeah. Norma Desmond. And, you know, she could have some kind of comeback role. It's not unheard of. Yeah. I mean, if not a comeback role, she could like write a column in the newspaper or something. Yeah um did did you like how they at her card game it was actual other silent film stars yeah you're buster keaton (laughs) i know i was like is that buster like i I was watching this by myself but i yelled out is that buster (laughs) (laughs) uh so what rating would you give it i think i would give it a four and a half whoa Mm -hmm. yeah what about you i think i would give it a four Mm -hmm. It was filmed really beautifully mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. 
um, Gloria Swanson's performance was great. And I kind of, I liked how meta everything was like, yeah. you know, I'm a sucker for the like movie about the movies. <laughs> so I liked that. I did not, it was not a pleasant viewing experience for me. Yeah. You know, like I, this would not be my, like, like get cozy on the couch and like watch this movie on a rainy Sunday. Like that, that's, that's not this movie, but it is a very good movie. Yeah. It's not a relaxing <laughs> No, the whole time I was like, get out of the house. What are you doing? <laughs> Leave, just keep walking. <laughs> um, I mean, I think you know that I'm not I'm not good with horror movies and it, this felt a little bit close to that. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it was a little too much. But I'm glad. So this was a, a listener request. So I'm glad because I don't know if we would have picked this. Yeah, otherwise. I don't know if we would have either. Yeah. But yeah, so I'm really glad we watched it. And what's our next movie, Hill? Our next movie is Lilies of the Field. Yes, honoring the great Sidney Poitier. That's right. May it please the court, I submit that my entire line of defense is based on the proposition that persons of the female sex should be dealt with before the law as the equals of persons of the male sex. Follow The Screen Sirens on Twitter at The Screen Sirens. Leave us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud to help other people find us. And become a patron at patreon.com slash The Screen Sirens. Thanks for listening. After all, tomorrow is another day. Thank you.